We're going to study the book of Jeremiah. So you want to open your Bibles there to Jeremiah chapter 1. We're calling the series The Fiery Bones after Jeremiah 20 verse 9 where Jeremiah speaks of having a fire in his bones to speak the word of God. Our text this morning, Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 1 through 8, the topic we'll find there is this, God gives Jeremiah his life's mission, but Jeremiah thinks he can't accomplish it. The title of our message, I think I can't, I think I can't. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, you're so good to us. You've given us a really sweet time of worship where our hearts have been drawn in praise to your throne. Our heart's attention is fixed upon you. In some ways, Lord, we'd like to say that you've opened our hearts to receive the word of God. You promised that you'd indwell us, Lord, and you do, and that you'd be in our midst when we meet as a church. And All of that is converging together this morning, Lord, so that you can reveal more of your grace in abundance to us, your everlasting love that has drawn us to you, and so that you can speak to us, Lord, as a father to sons and daughters and as friends, so that uh, we would understand who we are in you and what you would have us do uh, to joyfully reveal your love to others. And so, Lord, take us through these verses and I pray, Lord, that we would learn some things about you in them because, uh, Lord, you said once that uh, the scripture is about you and that you are revealed in every passage. And so, uh, Lord, we we will not have accomplished our purpose unless you're glorified and seen in these words. And so do that, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. These are actual excuses written by parents. My son is under a doctor's care and should not take PE today. Please execute him. (laughs) Please excuse Lisa for being absent. She was sick and I had her shot. Please excuse Jimmy for being. It was his father's fault. Please excuse Jennifer for missing school yesterday. We forgot to get the Sunday paper off of the porch, and when we found it Monday, we thought it was Sunday. And this is my favorite. Please excuse Ray Friday from school. He has very loose vowels. (laughs) Hidden somewhere in those notes are valid excuses for the young adults to miss school. Now, when we first encountered Jeremiah, he's a young man making his own excuse. It isn't to miss school, but it's to question his calling. No matter his excuse, God sends him as a prophet, letting Jeremiah know that he can trust the Lord to equip him. We're going to contemplate Jeremiah's excuse by asking two questions of ourselves. Number one, do you think that you can't serve the Lord? And number two, do you trust that the Lord can send you? Let's take a look first of all in verses one through six at thinking that you can't serve the Lord. Much of the historical background for Jeremiah, if you're interested, can be found in a reading of 2 Kings chapters 22 through 25. On the international scene, there was a three-way contest for world supremacy in that region of the world. Assyria had ruled the world for about 300 years, but they were growing weak. Babylon was on the rise, becoming a formidable challenger to the Assyrian Empire. Egypt 
which had been a world power a thousand years earlier, was ambitious to grow again into a mighty nation. The kingdom of the 10 northern tribes called Israel had already fallen to Assyria by the time of Jeremiah's prophecies. Much of the southern kingdom known as Judah was already in the hands of Babylon. Babylon eventually won the contest of the superpowers about the middle of Jeremiah's ministry. Babylon ruled the world for around 70 years, the same 70 years as the Jews' captivity. Jeremiah would minister to Judah during the reigns of Josiah, Jehoiahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Zedekiah, and the governorship of Jedaliah. He's not the only prophet at this time. Contemporary with him were Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Huldah, a prophetess. They ministered in Judah. Meanwhile, Daniel and Ezekiel were ministering in Babylon as captives. F.B. Meyer paints the following dark background for the messages of these prophets. He says this, the northern tribes were captive and Judah, unwarned by the fate of her sister Israel, was rapidly pursuing the same path to be presently involved in a similar catastrophe. King in court, princes and people, prophets and priests were infected with the abominable vices for committing which the Canaanites had been expelled from the promised land centuries before. In the streets of Jerusalem, the children were taught to gather wood while the fathers kindled the fire while the women needed dough to make cakes for Astarte, the queen of heaven, to pour out drink offerings to other gods. The temple was the headquarters of Baal worship Its courts were desecrated by monstrous images and symbols. Now, for all of their deliberate and willful sin, God wanted to warn his people. He wanted to call them to repentance. The best man for the job in Jerusalem, turns out, would be a boy. And so we begin in verse one, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Hilkiah was a common name, and so scholars are split as to whether or not this is the same Hilkiah who was the high priest that found the copy of the law which encouraged the reforms under the reign of King Josiah. The village of Anathoth was about three miles northeast of Jerusalem, and from our reading of uh, the book of Joshua, we find that it was a city allocated by Joshua for the use uh, for priests to live in. It was a priestly city. And so Jeremiah, we find out right here, was the son of a priest living in a priestly village. He grew up with the normal expectation he would follow in his father's footsteps. According to the book of Numbers, you find this in Numbers chapter four, verse three, a priest would begin his training at age 25, and then he served from ages 30 to 50. Jeremiah was on track to serve the Lord in his course once he became old enough and then retire after putting in his 20 years. Uh, When you put it that way, he doesn't sound so different than many of us pursuing what we believe to be the American dream. Uh, Get into the workforce, put in your 20 years, and then retire so that you can do what you really want to do and enjoy yourself. Uh, Verse two, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. We know that Josiah became king of Judah in 640 BC, so his 13th year was 627 BC. We also know that he came to power legally when he was eight years old. In his 13th year as king then, he was just 21 years old. 
Now we're going to see that Jeremiah was a young man. The king at the time was about 21 years old. So it seems like there was something of a youth movement going on with God. God was using young people. Over in uh, Babylon, he was using Daniel and his three friends who had been taken as young men. Uh, So it's very interesting, the focus of this book. Verse three, it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Now we're looking at the end of Jeremiah's ministry. That last date given to us would have been around July or August of 586 BC. And so doing the math, we find that Jeremiah's ministry lasted around 40 to 41 years. The word of the Lord came meant that God called Jeremiah into the ministry or we would say the office of a prophet. Whatever Jeremiah's perceived or preferred career path, whether he was on track to be a priest and serve in the temple, God intervened in his life and he said, you're a prophet. God had something else in mind. Today in the church, God the Holy Spirit gives gifts to believers as he chooses. We're told to desire the best gifts, but ultimately we must remain subordinate to God's gifting. It's not to limit us or for us to start thinking that's not my gift, so I don't need to step up. No, it's to encourage us to be stirred up to minister one with another so everyone is built up in God. Christians, sometimes we make the mistake of we continue to desire gifts that God's just not gonna give us. You know, we are to desire the best gifts. I think what Paul had in mind there is to desire the best gifts be at work in the body of Christ to minister to everybody. Uh, You know, if you've been a Christian for a while and you've asked for certain gifts of the Holy Spirit and God hasn't given them to you, uh, exercise the gifts that he has given to you. Sometimes people, they, they want something so bad that they, they get into it when God hasn't really gifted them and they pursue that and, um, You know, they get by with some adequacy, but there's no anointing. Why be adequate when you can be anointed? On the other end of the spectrum, people sometimes think, well, I know how God's gifted me. I've got a catalog of the gifts that he's given me, or whether it's one or several. And so when they see something or hear something or there's some opportunity, they automatically say, well, that's not my gift. Someone else needs to deal with that. I don't think that's what the Lord has in mind either when he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, because we're really to minister one to another uh, despite our gifts. For example, there's a a gift of discernment that some Christians have, but all Christians should have discernment. A lot of the gifts of the Bible are like that. There's a supernatural ability that God gives, but every Christian is also enabled to a certain extent in some areas. And so we don't want to make the mistake on either side, but, uh, you know, God decide. God decide. He looked down and he said, Jeremiah, you're on track to be a priest, but you're my prophet. For the next 40 years, you're going to be my prophet. Not at all what Jeremiah had in mind. And uh, probably if you're a Christian, you've uh, at least been in one or two situations where it's not at all what you had in mind, uh, but God indeed have, had that in mind and we should just let him be God. Now this is all the background we get before Jeremiah returns to the moment the word of the Lord first came to him to call him to the ministry of a prophet. But as I said, if you read uh, 2 Kings, if you, certainly if you were a Jew reading this, that's all the history you would need. You would be Im- uh, immediately brought into the politics and the intrigue and everything that had been going on during that period of time. And so in verse four he says, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, He uses the word then. 
And so there was a certain point in time, there was a certain moment that God intervened and it changed the course of Jeremiah's life and service forever. Now, Jeremiah was already a believer. If you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, the very first intervention you need is conversion. You need to be brought to the cross to acknowledge your sin and his salvation and receive Christ as your savior. So that's the intervention. The Holy Spirit is in the world drawing you to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, showing you that you're a sinner that needs to be saved. As a believer, you may be called to a specific office or gifting at a point in time, uh, and and that's certainly uh, very true. But more than that, Since we now have the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, we're to be sensitive to the word of the Lord coming to us all the time to direct our energies into serving Jesus wherever we find ourselves, in the household of faith, of course, the church, but also out among non-believers. And so one of the great things really about being a Christian, if you think about it, is that God, the Holy Spirit, has taken up residence in you. You have God within you. You have the word of God to read. Uh, You have a relationship with the Lord, prayer and all of this. And so on a moment-by-moment basis, we can be sensitive to things that the Lord is showing us and revealing to us and saying to us and influencing us to do. We can certainly close that off as well. Uh, But, uh, you know, the growth and the depth of the Christian life is to become more sensitive to the Lord who is speaking to us. He spoke to us at a point in time we became Christians. Maybe during our Christian journey, there's certain real milestones where he's given us gifts or talents or abilities or called us to different offices and all that. But it is the normal Christian life to be in communion and conversation and fellowship with God all of the time. Verse five. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. These Bible characters, these guys like Jeremiah, they always seem so much more special than you and I. God makes these tremendous statements. But this is simply a personal application by God to Jeremiah of what he says generally of everybody through David in Psalm 139, verse 13. It's a verse we're all familiar with. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. It's just a different way of saying what he said to Jeremiah, and that could apply to every Christian. Add to that this promise that we find in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. The Bible says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the obvious, what the Lord is saying in that verse is that before you became a Christian and then after you become a Christian, God has things in front of you for you to discover as you walk with him. And so really, uh, God hasn't said anything different to Jeremiah than he said to us. And so I guess, however you want to put that, uh, you're either just as special or just as ordinary as Jeremiah. And so we need to get over this uh, you know, idea. We did, same thing we talked about this with Abraham, with David, with all the Bible characters. You have to get over this idea that these guys are somehow more loved or have more grace or in some way they're special to God. Where he looked down and he said, I just, I just can't use this person at all, but you know, David is this special person. Maybe I'm a little bit more sensitive to that because I come out of a religious tradition that teaches that there are certain special people that stand out from the crowd and, and they can be canonized and called saints, you know, and the average person is just a loser. 
your life, maybe you'll get by, maybe you'll go to heaven, who knows? But this person, wow, we've got proof that they're super special. Uh, and, and that sticks with you. And, and you know, uh, but you know, God comes and he says to Jeremiah, oh, you're special and I've got work for you to do. But he says the same thing to you and to me and to every believer. Jeremiah was troubled and he voiced his concern. Verse six, then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. I don't know why, but it seems scholars can't agree on exactly how old Jeremiah was when he claimed he was a youth. Actually, that's not fair for me to say that. It can be hard, some of these biblical chronologies and timelines, it is hard to pin certain things down. Estimates range from early teens, as young as 13, to mid-20s. I would favor a younger age only because I think that is um, a way that God is revealed greater through Jeremiah, probably not as young as 13, but who knows. For our purposes, let's just say he knew that folks would think he was too young and they would not respect him on account of it. Have you noticed in your Bible study, though, that God loves to use young people? Samuel, of course, comes to mind as his mom brings him and leaves him at the temple, the tabernacle there, uh, and says, I've dedicated him to the Lord's service. And then Samuel's early years, I mean, he's just, you know, he's ministering and prophesying as a very young man, very young child, rather. You think of David, just a teenager when he defeated Goliath. Daniel and his three friends, who we've already mentioned this morning, they were young when they were taken captive and began their exploits in Babylon. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked at Nebuchadnezzar and said, we're not gonna bow down to you no matter what you do. You could kill us or God can deliver us. I mean, they were just very young men with a holy boldness. In the New Testament, you think of Timothy because Paul the apostle had to write to Timothy and say, don't let anybody despise your youth. You're the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Act like it. Stir up the gift that is in you because it's not about you. And so the, the conclusion you'd have to come from here is that two, two things. Number one, young people need to get with the program. If you're a young adult, a teenager, and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, hey, you're called to serve the Lord right now, right where you at. Right, right where you at. <laughs> Little gospel moment there. I don't know what, I'm having such a hard time this morning. But uh, anyway, right where you're at. Uh, you need to minister to the, don't, don't be held back by your youth. Get involved. Talk to your friends about Christ. Bring your friends to church. Get involved with the Christian club at your school. Join a Christian club at your school. Let your testimony be made known. Get to a point, your parents might not like this, but I think your, your teacher should have to call home and say, hey, we think your son or daughter is being too forward about their Christianity. We don't want them to wear these shirts anymore or these things. We don't like them carrying their Bible or quoting the Bible. I mean, get into it. Have fun with it. You're a Christian. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. There isn't a junior Holy Spirit. Do <laughs> you ever think about it that way? There's just the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come as a, I'm say my, you know, my younger Holy Spirit brother to, you know, no, it's just you're filled with the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, or at the same time, I should say, parents, old people, let kids minister. 
I mean, the truth is we look at young people in the church and we think, oh, how cute. They think they can teach the Bible. They think they can lead worship. Oh, it's so cute. They're so, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I feel rebuked. Who are you? I, I saw you grow up. You know, that kind of a thing. And you know what? That's why, that's why young people leave churches and go to other churches where they're not known because they have no hope in their own church. Of be, it's like Jesus. He couldn't do, you know, too many things uh, because they thought, isn't this the carpenter's son? You know, isn't he Mary's child and stuff? And so we as adults, we need to have the courage to step back and think, all right, Lord, do some things with these young people. Maybe it's not what we would do. Hey, that's great. It's what you want to do. And so we need to have a real understanding that God wants to raise up young people. And, and, and you know, both the young person and the older among us need to be on board with that. Jeremiah was called to speak. He understood that that meant he was being called to be a prophet, to speak for God and to speak forth the word of God. And so he thought, I can't speak for God. And this is where it gets interesting for us. This is where we can ask ourselves, do I think I can't serve God? Now, there are two very different things that my saying I can't might mean. One of them is good, one of them is not so good. If I say I can't, but I really mean I won't, that's not so good. Jesus once told a parable about making lame excuses. People were invited by the master to a great supper. They responded by saying things like, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I've married a wife and I can't come. And it's clear when you read that parable, these are lame excuses for their desire to uh, not come. And so they're saying I can't come, but they really meant I won't come. They all could have and they should have responded, but they were too involved in their own lives. They were too caught up in the things they would rather do or were doing. None of them were bad things in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with buying land and buying oxen and being married, but they were so engrossed in those things, the normal things of life, that they wouldn't make time to respond to the invitation. It's so easy to think that you found what you're supposed to be doing between certain ages and therefore you don't need to respond to God's invites. One thing is clear from even a quick cursory reading of the Bible. God is finding ordinary people who are living their ordinary lives and he calls them to do extraordinary, even radical things. Now it's not always to change their career and to, you know, uh, instead of being a priest, become a prophet, or instead of becoming a businessman, becoming a pastor or a missionary. That's not it. it it's that the Lord is always looking to find somebody who's just living or, the ordinary Christian life and say, right now, today, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, we say, well, I can't, I can't do that. Why not? Well, I just got married. Or I, 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 just, bought a, I just bought a new car and I gotta drive it. Or I just bought a new house and I have to fix it up. Or I just bought an old house and I have to fix it up. Those are the modern, you know, there's a million excuses. I think you understand. And, and, so, and because we, maybe you're just not sensitive to the fact that God really does want to use ordinary people all the time. And we are those ordinary people. And so 
When was the last time really that you stepped out of a comfort zone to serve the Lord? When was the last time following him required a real sacrifice of time, talent, or treasure? Even among us who serve a lot, and I think we have a really a serving church. A lot of people serve in our church, and, and it's a blessing. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm not talking about our rotation and serving when we're supposed to or me even being here on Sundays to teach in my ministry or whatever. I'm talking about those times when you're just, you're in the middle of something or you're out somewhere and God says, I want you to do this. And if you're thinking, wow, I, I've, I, I don't hear that. Well, if it's been a while or you don't hear that, then you might be thinking, I can't, when in reality you're saying, I won't. You know, as opportunities come up to serve the Lord, you hear about them at church or you see them in the world, the more you say, I won't, uh, you're you're going to kind of develop an attitude that, well, I can't do that, I won't do that. So if I'm not careful, I can't can become my default response so that I can just go on undisturbed by God's promptings. And so... You know, just since we're in a church setting, sometimes an opportunity comes up, hey, the church, we're gonna do this, we're gonna go here, we're gonna do this, there's this opportunity, and immediately, if your first response is, I can't, I can't, why? Because I have a job, I have a wife, I have children, I have, I'm going to school, I'm whatever it is. Maybe you can't, but if, that, if, if really that's the very first thing, and I know I've been there too, I hear things, oh, I can't do that, I just can't, why? I don't know, I have 1,500 excuses why I can't do that. If you really want to get into it, I could get a yellow pad and give you some reasons why I can't. But do, am I really listening to the Lord? When you look at these guys, could any of them do what they were called to do? Not really. They were all involved in something else when God called them. And, and, and you know, they didn't say, I won't. And so we want to be very careful about that. Now, if on the other hand, you say, I can't because you know that you must do it, but you feel totally inadequate, well, that's great. You and I are totally inadequate in ourselves to accomplish anything for God. I will, Lord, but I can't is the attitude that we ought to cultivate if we are going to be used by God. You see the difference? God says, hey, I want you to do this. I'm calling you to do this. And you think, Lord, I can't do that unless you do it through me. I'm totally inadequate for that. And see, that's where God lives, right? He loves to find people that are totally inadequate so that other people look at them and say, how'd you do that? How do you know that? What's going on in your life? I will, but I can't is the attitude we ought to cultivate. Along those lines, do you remember the last time you stepped out in faith when you knew that God had spoken to you to say something or to do something and you did it? God met you there. He empowered you. And that's where we want to live as believers, shaken out of comfort zones with a genuine sense of our personal inadequacies depending totally on the Lord, which brings us to the fact that we can trust the Lord, verses seven and eight. It's interesting, whenever somebody in the Bible is called to do something, I realize that God has better ways of communicating than using human beings. Angels, for example, are powerful messengers. They always say what they're supposed to say. They say it exactly when they're supposed to, and they sometimes back it up with unusual displays of power. And you think, now that's a messenger service. That, you wanna get a message across? Send Gabriel. You know, 
Send some of these guys. I mean, you know, and, and you see some of the examples at times when God has sent these angels and their, their, their message is spot on. It's exactly what God wants them to say. They, they don't really embellish it. They can fill in the blanks a little bit. And then if you don't like the message, they say, huh, really? Well, you're gonna be dumb. You're gonna be mute until uh, John the Baptist is born. How's that? And then they leave and you're, mm-hmm. And so this is, that's a messenger service that you can live with. But instead, we have something angels don't have. Think about this, it's pretty exciting. You and I have something angels don't have. Do you know what it is? Weakness. Weakness. Because God has chosen to send you and I into the world. He wants to show his power in weakness. He doesn't use many mighty or noble, but rather, and I quote from 1 Corinthians, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. How many times have I said or you've said, I just feel too weak or too, you know, I don't know enough or I'm, I'm not the right person for this. That person's so much smarter than me. They won't respect me. And God's saying, yeah, that's right. I could send Gabriel I could, but I want to send you so that they will have all of those reactions and be amazed. Uh, One of my favorite New Testament uh, things there in the book of Acts, the Jewish religious leaders, really smart, you know, guys with their robes and, and their strength and their power and their politics and all that, they looked at Peter and John and the other disciples and they said, guys, what's going on? These are ignorant fishermen who have been with Jesus Christ. What are we going to do about this? And, and that's, that's, the, that's what God's getting at with you and I. He wants to say, look at this, this is an ignorant title insurance salesman who knows Jesus Christ. And whatever you are, wherever you serve. And that's the deal. God's strength is made real in your weakness. And so in verse 7, But the Lord said to me, don't say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, (coughs) excuse me, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. In Jeremiah's case, I want to believe that his camp was a sincere recognition of his inadequacies, coupled with the reception he knew he'd get from the people. And we see that's true, because he said, I can't do it, but he did it. God simply dismissed Jeremiah's excuse. I love that about God. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't reason with him. He doesn't give him anything to think about. He doesn't say, well, let me, let me give you five reasons why you know, this is gonna happen. God just says, hey, don't say that. I'm letting you know that you need to replace your own thoughts with a trust in me. And I, I, we say this a lot here, but what God is saying to Jeremiah is, my calling is my enabling. I'm not making a mistake here. So when I say, Jeremiah, go speak for me, In that calling, there is a power. And so don't even bother saying you can't do it because I wouldn't call you to do something and then leave you alone to do it. You and I are gonna do this together. That's understood. Now, even though Jeremiah was essentially called to the high office of a prophet, he was essentially just a messenger. God would send him to certain people and God would tell him what to say to them. How hard is that, really? I mean, I, mean I, I know, I'm not trying to belittle it, but that's all that Jeremiah was. God said, I'm, I'm gonna send you to this person and to these people, and you're gonna say these things. Okay, that seems pretty easy. What made it hard was that people didn't wanna hear God's message, and they took it out on Jeremiah. Verse eight, do not be afraid of their faces, 
for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. I like this too because there's no sugarcoating from God. He's letting him know that the faces of his listeners are gonna reveal the desire to kill you. You ever make somebody really mad? And you look at their their face, your worst mad face, you know? And you think, wow, that, that, I, you seem angry. You can tell sometimes body language and countenance and stuff, it's, it's pretty radical. And so God says, all you have to do is say what I tell you to say, no more, no less, to the people I tell you to send in. And you're gonna watch their faces get screwed up with anger and I'll, don't worry about it though, because I'll deliver you. You know, that word deliver, it's such a great word, isn't it? God's gonna deliver me. It implies that you're gonna be in a situation where you require deliverance. You ever think about that? Oh Lord, thank you for delivering me. Yeah, I'm in a pit. I'm in the stocks, I've been whipped. Uh, you know, and for Jeremiah, he'd be persecuted by his own family, plotted against by the people of his own hometown, rejected and reviled by his peers in the religious world. The chief temple priest had, would have him whipped and put in stocks. He was almost murdered by a wild mob of priests and prophets after one of his messages. And at one point, he'll preach a sermon at the temple gate and nearly get killed by an angry mob for predicting that the temple would be destroyed. So God's saying, hey, Jeremiah, I'm gonna deliver you. It's gonna get a little bit messy, but I'll be there. The truth is, we don't suffer very well in this country. And by that, I simply mean, we're at the far end of the spectrum when it comes to thinking it's strange that we might be called upon to endure hardship or persecution for the sake of our testimony. We're, we're, quite honestly, and I put myself in this category, we're the people who think, oh, what's going on? Immediately and have to be reassured that suffering is okay. Not just okay, that it's part and parcel of what the Lord promised us. It's not a strange thing, it's normal. We ought to rejoice if and when we're called upon to suffer for the Lord. Jeremiah said, I cannot speak for I am a youth. Now, this sentence is a great devotion. It's a wonderful meditation for every one of us and I I encourage you to really get deep into it in your personal spiritual life. First of all, take the word cannot, or we're saying can't, and determine if you mean I can't because of my real inadequacies, or if you mean I won't because I don't want to answer those invitations. I'm too busy living my life. And, and I'm not saying we're not even living it for the Lord. See, this is where it, it, you really need to get personal with God because you know, uh, immediately we think, well, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I've told people I'm a Christian, um, you know, I'm living the Christian life. I'm also, and, and so you immediately dismiss this and you think it, it refers to people who are backslidden or you know, all that, but God is coming, he came to Jeremiah who was you know, serving him, getting ready to be a priest, come from a priestly family, he says, I'm changing everything up right now. Do you hear me? And, and yeah, you're gonna go out and be a prophet. And so God is talking to solid Christians when, when he says, think of what you're saying. Are you saying I can't, but I will? Or are you saying I just won't because I'm locked into a comfortable Christian life? I can't give to that, I won't go there, I can't say that, I can't be involved in any of that because I'm already doing this other stuff that's good and adequate, it's Christian, I can list it, it's more than my neighbors are doing, you know, because God, he wants to get personal with each one of us and and there needs to be times in our lives, if the Bible is true, and it is, where we we say, oh, you're talking to me. That opportunity, that's for me to deal with. Maybe I should serve in that capacity, maybe I should give to that. 
And when my first thought always is, I can't, God just wants to make sure that it's a real can't and not a won't. Now, once you've worked through any issues you, uh, and you really mean I can't, Lord, without your constant presence, then take the sentence and remove the words speak and youth and fill in the blanks for yourself. What is it God has called you to do that you have an excuse for? And just know that the Lord is going to overcome that in his strength and by his power and lead you into the good works that he has before ordained that you should walk in them. Trust the Lord, step out, discover those good works. The attitude I guess that we ought to have, I wanna be careful, but um, the attitude we should have is that whenever there's an opportunity, whenever there's a need, whenever maybe it's a missions trip, whatever it might be, I think our first attitude ought to be, Lord, do you, do you want me to do that? Because I guess I belong to you. You delivered me from sin and death. And if you want me to do that, I'm willing to do that. And then work backwards from there. And you'll find out that, well, no, he wants you to do this. He doesn't want you to do everything. But if your attitude, if my attitude is, hey, I'm already doing this. And so, yeah, that's, I don't need to think about that. That's for somebody else. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's for me. Maybe it's for you. And what an exciting life. What a wonderful life. Good works, God says, I have before ordained for you to discover. All we need to do is be willing with the right heart that says, Lord, I'm willing, but only if you and I do this together. Amen?